Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm sitting down with Pat Wetzel. Pat is an award-winning author, blogger, photographer, and speaker. She elevates other people's lives and stories from behind still and film cameras as a seasoned interviewer, engaging writer, and entrepreneur. A Wharton School of Business graduate, she escaped the corporate world to soar her sailplane around the country, testing her limits and feeding her appetite for adventure. Then she hit a bump in the road. A diagnosis of supposedly incurable cancer led her to start Anti-Cancer Club, a cancer resources website. Realizing that travel could be transformative, she created Cancer Road Trip to connect cancer survivors with once-in-a-lifetime journeys. Then, when the COVID-19 pandemic slammed the brakes on travel, Pat pivoted again. She now metaphorically tours the world, conversing with inspirational individuals, navigating their own transformative experiences with resilience and courage as the founder and voice of the internationally acclaimed Bump in the Road podcast. I'm looking forward to getting into a conversation with Pat, but before I do, I just want to remind you, if you're looking for some great tips on cancer prevention, go to revivewellness.com and click on free gift. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I am so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, So, you know, first, I really just wanted you to tell me about your cancer journey. I know you said it, I think it started in 2009. Yeah, 2009. um, I was diagnosed with um, nodal marginal zone lymphoma, a slow growing, but supposedly incurable lymphoma. What I was told was that you'd go through treatment, it would come back, you'd go through treatment, it would come back. And for the first five years or so, that was absolutely true. Um, I just went through round after round. Uh, but in 2000, I think it was 2015, I got a good durable remission. How many rounds of treatment did you need in between then? Uh, three. The first round, I tried just um, a monoclonal antibody, which had had a lot of success in a lot of people. I volunteer um, with Immerman's Angels and some other groups. And I've talked to lots of people who just did the monoclonal antibodies and they were fine. But it didn't work for me. But it turned out to be my drug from hell. Um, I got very, very sick. So after that didn't work, I did a round of more traditional chemo, um, RCVP, and then that worked for a little while, and then the cancer came back, and then I did a round of bendamustine and rituxan. Tell me when it came back, how were you feeling? You know, what were you thinking? Actually, I had really changed my approach a lot in that, that period of time. The first round of chemo, I was just angry at everybody and I wanted to be left alone. Um, By the time I went through the second round, I think that I was um, more comfortable. I had a better sense of maybe what to expect, although chemo is never what you expect, uh, no matter what. 
I think that I had a better sense of control over things, whether that was an illusion or not. You know, I had a, a super healthy diet. I was working out like mad. Uh, I meditated, uh, you know, the, the whole thing. So I had tuned my life as much as I possibly could. And actually, I think that was really important because I think cancer, particularly in our medical system, is an experience in being out of control. And it's incredibly, it's not a good out of control at all. And one of the things I think I searched for was a sense of control. And uh, I think by the time I went through that last round of chemo, I had that a sense of being centered, a sense of I was doing everything I could. And now this was not my first rodeo. After the first time, did you change your diet then too? Or was it more, you know, after you had the recurrence? Oh, no. Early on, I started looking at what do you control? This whole situation is crazy. The whole situation is beyond crazy. And I came across a book by David Servan Shriver that was absolutely my Bible. And I recommend it to absolutely everybody. Um, it's called Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life. And the story behind it is David Servan Shriver is a young academic physician in Pittsburgh. And he's running, I don't know if he's a neuroscientist or what I forget offhand, um, or neurosurgeon perhaps. But anyway, he's running a brain scanning experiment and his, his um, patient doesn't show up. So he goes through the scanner and finds out that he has a brain tumor. He's in his early 30s. He, you know, goes through treatment. He goes through surgery. He goes through hell for an entire year of his life. His job falls apart. His marriage falls apart. Everything in his life is just destroyed. At the end of the year, he asks his oncologist, what should I do? And the oncologist said, well, go back to living your life. So he goes back to this crazed, frantic life where he never eats well, never gets any sleep, never gets any exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And the tumor comes back. So this time he goes on a worldwide tour de force, looking at what creates health and what creates anti-cancer health. And I love the book for the underlying story, but I love the book because it's a very scientific approach to what creates health. Um, the footnotes alone are amazing reading. And it's, um, it's a book everybody should read, whether you have cancer or not. Great to know. I actually do have it and I started it, but now I'm going to finish it. <laughs> so after you were finished with treatment, after your second, you know, after you had that recurrence, you, you know, was that part harder for you being finished with everything than going through the treatment and, and having that plan? I think the first round of chemo, the RCVP, that was very hard. I had a distinct feeling of leaving that oncology office and absolutely plummeting off a cliff. What do you do now? I'll see you for see you for a scan in three months. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's a horrible feeling of being in limbo and not knowing what to do, what happens next. How do you recover? Will you get your energy back? Will this chemo brain ever go away? You you have no answers, tons of questions, and no one to turn to. Uh, I can completely relate, completely relate. I mean, I was much more scared after I was finished with treatment because I no longer had that plan. And I was thinking, what now? And similar to you, I wanted that control back. Well, and I think treatment is just about survival because some of the treatments are so tough. Um, and you've never experienced anything like this. You've never experienced this sort of fatigue and the side effects and things. 
So treatment is about survival. And then after that, what? Nothing in our system addresses the post-cancer experience where all of a sudden now you have to come to terms with mortality, fear, will it come back? Uh, my life may be physically irreparably changed when there are so many things that happen afterwards. And that aspect of the cancer experience goes on the rest of your life. After you were finished with everything, what did you do next? What did I do next after that? Um, I put some I put some energy into developing Anti-Cancer Club, the website, and I'd simultaneously developed a platform that modeled and rewarded human compassion, particularly through long-term illness. Um, think of it as Facebook for good. We don't take your data. And there's some gamification in it to make sure that um, people stay connected in a way that is appropriate for the cancer patient. Because as we all know, people say the wrong thing. They do the wrong thing. They don't mean to, but they just don't know how to relate to your experience. So I went down to Silicon Valley um, to raise some money for the platform and got some interest, was told I needed to do a beta platform. I hired a company to do it and um, I waited and I emailed and I called and I got no response. They essentially said, sue us. So knowing what stress does to me, (laughs) I was not about to go down that path, um, but it was as if a piece of my soul had actually been stolen. It was just a really difficult place to be. I can't even imagine. I mean, working that hard on something. Yeah, it was pretty stunning. And as a result, I got sick. Uh, My hair started falling out from stress, not from chemo this time. I was vomiting blood. So I went to see the oncologist and um, he said, oh, we can run 200 different horrible invasive tests and I'm sure we'll find something wrong. And I'm just like, this is not what I need right now. It really isn't. So I left the office and I thought about it and um, I decided if the past was any indication of the future, I probably had 18 to 24 months before the cancer was overwhelming. And I just decided I was not going to live it tethered to the medical profession. So I sold my house. I found a home for my cat who I had bought in 2009 as a harbinger of I will survive this. Finding a home for her was really brutal, but she's in a really good home. And I am... put everything in storage and hit the road. And that's when I hit, uh, when I started a cancer road trip. Um, and I really didn't know where I would go or what would come of it. I had no idea. Incredible. Incredible. So what, when you were vomiting blood and all that, they gave you tests, but it was not cancer. It was just. No, I just walked away. I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. You're not dealing with it. No. And the oncology office never even followed up. Nothing. That is amazing. Um, I can tell many medical stories through this whole saga that are not very attractive, but let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think you learn to become an advocate for yourself, right? And and you just, you know, there's so much negativity in the whole cancer world and the medical community. I know they're trying their best, but but I think it's just a, a scare culture, you know? It is. And you know what it is? The doctors are honestly doing their best. But they have limited information. The way I describe our allopathic medical system is, imagine there's a plane. And on the plane, there are all these boxes. And the boxes are medical specialties. And one of the rules of being on the plane is that you may not touch another box ever. So you have all these boxes moving around the plane, but they can't touch. But everybody on this plane doesn't realize that they actually exist in this massive three-dimensional sphere of options and possibilities. And 
I think that while everybody in their little box is doing their very best, the reality is doctors are under a lot of pressure. They're under pressure of lawsuits. They're under pressures from drug companies. They're under pressures from legal, you know, uh, legal must-dos. They have to provide standard of care. They really don't have a lot of flexibility in the, in what type of treatment they give you. And a lot of people think they're getting this super specialized treatment just for them. They're getting standard of care. And... Um, and that's good. It is the best our system as it's set up now can do. But I think that you, as a patient, you have to recognize both the, the benefits and the limitations of the system. And you have to construct something that is going to work for you. Absolutely. Almost having your own medical team surrounding you, you know, whether it's holistic practices, you know, with the conventional uh, acupuncture, all those kind of things. Oh, I'm a huge acupuncture fan. And um, when I was going, when I went through the first round of monoclonal antibodies, I had horrible reactions. I had head to toe, 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 head to toe hives, which was unpleasant to say the least. My joints went berserk. I couldn't open my hand to hold a cup of coffee. I would scream in the shower, trying to oh, trying to move my joints. And um, I talked to my oncologist and he said, well, steroids, we'll pump you full of steroids. And this was potentially a maintenance drug that I might be on for a long time. So the idea of being connect, having to take steroids indefinitely was not where I wanted to be. So instead, I did a month of intensive acupuncture. All my symptoms went away. And my doctor refused to recognize that the acupuncture had any role in, in, in the healthcare system. Really? Yeah. I just, just don't understand that. Well, in the, uh, in the infusion room, they would have these huge jars of candy. I mean, you know, diet wasn't in their box. Um, general health just wasn't in their box. Anything more holistic, acupuncture, Reiki, wasn't in their box. Now, that has changed a little bit, particularly at some larger institutions. But again, as a patient, you might have some of those support services while you're going through treatment. But once treatment's over, you're on your own. And that's when you most need the support. That is so true. Now, did you feel like you had a lot of support? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> did you have family around you? What no, was no going family. On? Uh, a boyfriend who couldn't deal with it, who, uh, who couldn't deal with the situation. I contacted some volunteer organizations um, to connect with somebody who had a similar cancer. And when I finally connected with one woman, she said, I don't have time to talk to you. I tried to get into a group, a lymphoma group, the local hospital. I showed up. They'd been disbanded. I mean, it was just like one slam after another to the point where I realized I am absolutely on my own in this. It is a lonely feeling. And, and I think, too, even when you have support from your family and friends, you still kind of feel alone in it. I know I did because I just felt like no one knows what I'm going through. No, they don't. And they mean well. But like I play, used to play a lot of tennis. But you know what? I found out my most of my tennis friends, not all of them, but most of them were fair weather friends. They only wanted to be my friend when I was winning. And you're not winning after you go through a few rounds of chemo. So what happened? Did you stop playing or? Yeah, eventually um, I had a lot of joint issues after the last round of treatment. And about two or three months after that, my hip failed. And of course, the doctors say there's no correlation between all the drugs you've been pumped through, all the chemo, this, you know, surely would have happened. And I, I don't know. But at any rate, um, I had to have a hip replacement and I had issues with that. So tennis was no longer a possibility. Tennis, skiing, all the things I used to enjoy um, 
really were in the past now. And so I want to go back a little bit to the anti-cancer club. Was that something you decided to do to, to get that support around you and to, to obviously help others, but what was your mission? I think it was my therapy in a way, because I got to talk to people all over the world and they, you know, contributed. And I saw that there was, I knew that my situation was not unique and I thought we all need information and different points of view on things. So it was a forum where different people could contribute, could share their experiences, could share their points of view. And then it's up to the reader to decide what resonates with them. I love that. And still, you know, looking through all these articles or blogs, um, there's just so many great, great things from different people, different survivors, experts. Yeah, that, that, that website's been kind of stagnant for a while, and I've actually debated whether to take it down or not, but there is so much information there that it's not hard to host it. It's just that the technology behind it is obsolete, and it gets harder and harder to support it. I see. And then tell me about Cancer Road Trip. So you were just done with the medical community, and you're, you're, you said, I'm going to sell my house, and I want to go travel. I was done with the medical community. I was done with the business community. I was done with it all. Um, So I hit the road. Um, I had a a friend lend me a house up on Vashon Island, which was nice. I ended up house sitting along the way. Um, It was just, for me, travel offers a fresh palette. It's a new way of seeing things. You're out of your rut. You're very present because you're in a new uh, circumstance and things are evolving. And I think that's a really wonderful opportunity to reassess your life. And did you meet lots of survivors on the way or what, what did you do when you were there? I'm sure a lot of thinking. Uh, No, I didn't orient it towards survivors. I oriented towards adventure. I wanted some adventure. So that's what I got. And starting to write the blog, I had no idea where it was going to go or what I would do with it. So it started off more as a travel blog. And I had a lot of people say, we want to hear more about the cancer story. So I wove some, I started weaving more of that in. It took me a little while to get comfortable with it, actually. Did you feel at that time you kind of wanted to escape it? You didn't want to think about cancer? It's always there. You can't escape it. So um, I think it was more of a matter of trying to figure out my life. Um, how sick was I? What was going to happen? I'm homeless now at this point. I'm not broke, but I'm homeless where am I going to go? What am I going to do? To me, that takes so much courage. And, you know, I know people talk about courage and going through the cancer journey. Oh, you're so strong. You're so courageous. And I was always thinking, you know, I have no choice. I mean, am I really strong? Am I really courageous? But going out on your own like that and just traveling the world, to me, that takes courage. Tell me what you think. Oh, maybe sometimes some courage, sometimes you just don't care. Sometimes you're having fun. So what the heck? <laughs> I love it. And, and through that, I, I started learning a little bit about photography and got hooked. So I had a new um, hobby, if you will, which has been just wonderful. And that's opened all sorts of new doors. Um, things happen that you never could anticipate if you're willing to take that leap. Um, I interviewed um, Eric um, Weinmayer on Bump in the Road on my podcast recently. He's an amazing and inspirational person. He's blind, he went blind at 14. He's climbed Everest, all the seven summits. He has kayaked the uh, Whitewater Rapids 
on the Colorado through the Grand Canyon. And he has a group called uh, No Barriers. It's a not-for-profit. And it, it started focusing off on people who are blind with disabilities, but it's grown since then to just deal with the idea that you don't have to have barriers in life. What do you want to do? But one of the most interesting aspects of the conversation of his program, I find, is he divides the world into three pieces. Um, there are quitters who just give up when faced with hardship. And unfortunately, he thinks they could be up to about 20% or so. Um, there uh, is another, and these numbers won't add up, so don't hold me to this. Um, there's a middle section of people who just um, want to stay with the status quo. They want to be safe. They don't want to change anything. They want to stay in their comfortable rut. And that's up to 90% or so of the people. Uh, and then, that, oh, I'm maybe, sorry. That does not surprise me, right? It's, and maybe even more. But then there are those few people who he calls climbers. And, and th these are fluid. These are fluid categories because sometimes we're all campers. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we can move through these categories. But what is it that inspires the climbers to really um, step out into that void of uncertainty where growth is possible? And it's scary, but you are not going to grow if you are stay if you're a camper. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's why, you know, after my cancer diagnosis, I always tried to get out of my comfort zone. I think prior, I was just, you know, in this lane, like this is how I'm supposed to live. This is what my family expects of me, society expects of me. And I think it really changes you. I mean, do you agree? Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I know some people will hate this, um, but I honestly think any difficult experience, cancer, blindness, um, breaking your back, being caught in an avalanche, all sorts of things um, can be a wake up call. Uh, I think they, that these experiences, I see them as a portal into a more conscious and meaningful life. Um, I mean, I think for many people before cancer, you may have a more material life. You may be more wrapped up in the minutia of things. And I think for many people, um, a bump in the road, if you will, is a clarifying event where now you strip away the superfluous and you start to focus on what is important in you, in your life for you. Makes so much sense. No. It does. And I, I don't know why. And it is scary. There's no question about it. Getting out of your comfort zone is scary. But I think the more you do it, the more you can learn to live in that creative void. And that's where your life is going to be interesting. And you certainly have had an interesting life. I mean, reading, <laughs> <laughs> reading your blogs, your, you know, your adventures. You, you even was a pilot. You were a pilot. Yeah, for about 15 years, I flew high-performance sailplanes. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. So you always had this sense of adventure. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think I am somebody who is willing to get in that area of discomfort for whatever reason. And I think, again, the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with discomfort. And it's so much more fun. I mean, you know... Every day, you may not live out there, but when you have a chance to do something, I think you should. One of the themes that's coming out of Bump in the Road is that the people who are doing really remarkable things with their lives after some sort of calamity, almost one of the themes that's coming out of that is people say, say yes. Don't say no, say yes. Try it. Do something new. 
integrate something a little scary into your life, it's really not that scary or hard. You know, it can be simple. Take that class, talk to somebody different, um, drive a different way. I mean, there's so many things that can fall into the category. Oh, for sure. For sure. So what advice would you give to someone who was going through, you know, just diagnosed with cancer? And then maybe what would that look like after cancer? What kind of advice? Hang on. (laughs) Um, Get as many opinions as is reasonable. Put together a treatment plan. Follow it. Pay attention to your health. Start trying to integrate a healthier diet. Get as much exercise as you possibly can. It will make a big difference in terms of how you tolerate treatment and coming out of it with better muscle mass and everything else. Um, I, I think that read, read Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life. It's just a, a wonderful book. Um, I think that when you go through treatment, you're so full of fear and so it's, there's so much unknown. All you can do is really put one foot in front of the other many days. And then you're going through that cycle of not feeling well and fatigue and everything else. But afterwards, I would say pause, just stop and be totally, utterly selfish and think about what you want for your life. Forget about what everybody wants you to do or what you should do or what you did before. You have gone through an experience that is going to um, most likely change you, challenge your worldview. So take it on. I love that. I love that. I read on the cancer road trip blog a quote and I, I, from you, and I just wanted to read it and, and see what you were thinking at that time. And is it a flying quote? I like flying quotes. <laughs> so I know. So it, it, it's really more on the emotional level. And I know that's a lot of times hard to speak about, but it just really resonated with me. You, you wrote, cancer had opened an emotional outpouring of pain, need, and life from somewhere deep in my soul, and I could not close it off. I needed to share it. I needed to connect with others that got it. So yeah, again, if you could just explain what was going on for you and what, and what that meant and, and how important was it to connect to others in your healing journey that had similar experiences. I think the connection was important. I don't know that I got the connection I needed, but I think that I went from a life that was much more materialistic and irrelevant to, I hope, a life that is certainly much less materialistic, more oriented towards my core values. And I think that cancer shook me up out of my complacency. I'd been a camper and it was time to become a climber. I cannot imagine you as a camper. Oh, you know, there were periods, I went through some periods of time where I was just happy with comfort for a while. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I needed the comfort, Um, but I wasn't moving ahead on other fronts. And I think the cancer really shook me up in that regard. And it made me look at, it certainly made me look at the world very differently. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, now, what do you do in terms of follow-up care? Um, you know, do you get nervous when you have scans or are you having scans and all that kind of stuff? I, I have serious anxiety and PTSD. I can't walk into an oncology office. Uh, for the moment, I have just decided not to do anything, any follow-up care. I do not suggest that anybody else do this. I think that you should probably 
touch base with your doctor, get scans and things. But I have, I've had an amazing life. I'm going to be 64 this year. I don't know how that happened, (laughs) Um, but it did. And I'm kind of at the point of, um, I want to just live my life. If I don't feel well, I'll track it down and see what's going on. But in the meantime, um, I really do not want to live with the, with all that anxiety as an integral part of my life. I can understand. Um, you know, I have friends who are, you know, don't like to age. We, well, I'm 52, so I'll tell you my age, but we turned 50, obviously, two years ago. And, you know, all my friends were just so upset about, oh my gosh, how could we be 50? And, you know, I just, I don't let that stuff bother me because I'm thrilled to still be around and, and, still having fun and and connecting with people like you, you know? So I think it just changes your perspective completely. Oh yeah. What's that old Hunter Thompson quote about wanting to slide into home base or wrinkled and used up or something at the end of (laughs) your life? I mean, that's the way I look at it. I, um, you know, our society is upside down when it comes to aging. I really think aging should be revered. I mean, I, I think as you age, hopefully you become a better person. You're in a situation where you have more wisdom, you can give back. Um, you can't do that when you're 20 or 30. But when you're 50 or 60 or 70, there's a whole different range of options and gifts that you have. So, and I, I wish our society honored that more than just surface beauty. I mean, life is not an Instagram page. It really is not. <sighs> Yes. Can can you tell that to my kids? (laughs) It's amazing today. I just cannot relate to it. You know, that everything's a picture, everything. I mean, I get certain pictures, but a selfie and how do I look and all that. Yeah, I I really can't relate to it either. Um, It's just really beyond, it's beyond my world. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you, and you probably touched on this, but what is like one or two life lessons that you learned from your travels? Say yes, be open to things, <laughs> certainly. Um, you know, I'm going to steal a quote from somebody I just interviewed. Um, but it, it's a great quote, and it's, um, don't be afraid of adventure. You know, I, I think that the unknown, it, we make it scarier in our minds than it really is. And I think that being willing to step out into that is something we all need to cultivate. Mm, I love it. And you know, it reminds me of the cancer experience because there's so much fear around it. And if we can just, you know, I know it's easier said than done, but try to shift that mindset on not to be so afraid to live your life as best you can and and make the changes that you can and, you know, let God or whoever you believe in do the rest. And, you know, I I feel, and, and I'm wondering if you feel the same, I just can't live in fear anymore. I mean, even with the coronavirus, I, you know, so many people around me are just so frightened. And I don't know if it's a protective mechanism, but I just, I can't do it. I, I just won't let myself live in fear. No, I, I agree. Um, and I, a lot of people like to compare corona and cancer. I don't think there's any comparison. Cancer is internal and it's an internal journey. Um, the coronavirus is something external and, you know, it's very real. Um, some people have gotten very sick. There's no question about that. But there's also, over all the age groups and everything else, a 99.7% or so survival rate. As somebody who's been through situations where I never had odds that good, mm-hmm. I'll take those odds all day long. 
But then again, my respect, my my perception of risk is obviously a little out of kilter compared to the normal person. But um, I, I think the fear is way overblown. Um, I think that I think it's going to be interesting to look back in a few years and see how this really plays out. I agree completely. So are you ready for some random round questions? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's fun. Um, okay, so the first one is fill in the blank. Freedom to you is? Soaring. Why? Great. When you're feeling uneasy or afraid of something, what do you do? Look within because the fear or the discomfort's inside of me. It's not outside of me. Great advice. What was the last show you watched? Well, you binged actually and loved. Oh God, what was the name of it? Um, oh, it'll come to me. Uh, I have to think about it for a second. Was Let's come back to that one. Um, it had two episodes. Virgin River. <laughs> well, Virgin River. Yes. Okay, I didn't see that one yet. I'll have to put that on my list. It's kind of a Hallmark kind of thing. You know, it's just this nice, sweet GP kind of um, series. And I enjoy that kind of thing. Oh, great. Great. What is your favorite go-to snack? Oh, you'll laugh at this. I love the French um, green beans and just barely cooked. And I'll often make them as a vegetable with something at night. And I keep them around because I just like to munch on them. Going through chemo, I realized how much I like crunch. So I look for healthy crunch snacks. That's great. I never thought of that one. So maybe I can add it to my repertoire. <laughs> What's one simple thing, just a simple thing that brings you joy? Sunrise. What's on your nightstand? Uh, a phone charger, <laughs> a big bottle of water, some tissues, and sometimes a book. I was guessing a book for sure. Yeah, or with my phone. I keep a lot of books on my phone. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier than having all the clutter, right? Well, you know, I like an old-fashioned book, but um, I just don't want to lug all this stuff around anymore. So I, I'm as paperless as possible. Now, what's your favorite form of exercise? Probably these days, walking or hiking with my camera. I'm such a fan of hiking. I just feel such peace in the woods. Um, and the last one, what's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Oh, I'm grateful for so many things. I'm grateful for opportunities that are opening up. I'm grateful for the people I interview on Bump. Um, I think um, maybe I'm most grateful for a meditation practice that has been, I, I've had it for over 10 years now, but it's just been life-changing. And that is probably the single thing that I could not live without. Now I'm curious, is there a certain meditation practice that you like? Yeah, I wake up every morning. Um, I find five things to be grateful for, and then I meditate. And it's your own meditation? Like it's not a guided? No, not guided. I took um, a TM class that got me started. Uh, but And I like the way, I like that type of meditation for me because it absolutely stills my mind. I mean, somebody once said to me, your mind's never really quiet. It's like, yes, it is. And the more you do it, the more quiet your mind becomes and the more you can access that at any time throughout the day. And to get rid of that monkey mind, I, I couldn't imagine living like that anymore, but I realize most people do. And I would urge anybody who's curious about meditation, there's so many different ways to meditate. They're all great, whether it's guided or in silence or whatever, but check it out. There's a book called, I think it's called Eight Minute Meditation. 
and it's brilliant. The author takes you through a different type of meditation every week, and he asks that you give it eight minutes. So he's doing two things. He's exposing you to all these different ways you can approach meditation to find what resonates with you, and he's building a habit. So at the end of two months or so, now you're in the habit, eight minutes. Anybody can do eight minutes. And hopefully you're going to find something that resonates for you as you go through that. That is great. I'm so, I'm glad I asked you. (laughs) I'm going to write that down and and go get that. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for being on the show. I love the work you're doing and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm going to put in a shameless plug for my podcast, if I might. Yes, of Uh, course. It's bumpintheroad.us. Come to the website because we have articles as well as um, behind the scenes interviews with people. And it's available on all the major podcast channels. Wonderful. And you and you did give your website? A bump in the road.us. Perfect. Thank you so, so much. Thanks, Haley. It's nice talking to you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, The sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.